Thanks for listening to Parkview on the Go. No matter where you're from, what your story is, or where you are on your spiritual journey, you belong here and we want to help you take a step toward God. If at any point along the way you feel like you want to have a conversation about faith, life, and where God might be leading you next, you can let us know at parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. That's parkviewchurch.com slash next steps. We hope this content encourages you to continue becoming the person God created you to be. Enjoy the service. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to you online. Glad to have you here. Orland at our campus at New Lenox, Homer Glen, uh, outdoor venues. Uh, Good to have you with us. I got some time this summer to actually process. Um, I really hadn't had a lot of time to process the past year and a half where everything was basically the twilight zone, right? And, And most of life as we knew it was completely turned upside down. Some virus thing, okay? But, but as I stopped to think about it this summer, finally got some chance to do that, I realized that we are at an important crossroads right now. And I know we're not out of the woods with this new variant. Um, I've got friends and relatives that have Delta. Um, and I know that, you know, there's a lot of still controversy about things that are going on. But we are starting to go back to the office, back to school, back to activities. And I believe that we're in a unique time that we can either use to our advantage or we can just go back to the way things were before the world was shut down. Okay? It was a reset. Okay, this is where I want to go with this. It's a reset for us. I think this opportunity is unprecedented. It's as unprecedented as the pandemic was. And up front, let me put you at ease. There are no points to this sermon. It is a pointless sermon. Okay? All I'm going to do is diagnose, and you're going to have to figure it out for yourself. I'm not going to get to the end of the sermon and tell you to put God first and pray more and read the Bible and stop doing drugs. Those are all wonderful ideas, but this sermon is for you to figure out how to apply it to you, okay? You uniquely have, we uniquely have the ability to reset. And again, I just want to ask you to consider, again, the word unprecedented opportunity that we have as a gift from God to look at the decisions that we make and look back on this moment and be glad, or we can just go back to life as we knew it and hang on for dear life, okay? Here's, here's my story. About 15 years ago or so, um, I got my midlife crisis, Harley, okay, fat boy, Um, Some of you remember it, you know, Um, and and the first summer I had it, I was riding down in Arkansas and I laid it down in some gravel that I didn't see going around a corner and I went down really hard and I would be probably in some facility somewhere watching the Cartoon Network all day drooling if I hadn't been wearing a helmet, okay? I like pizza, Steve. I'm just saying, uh, if you need ADHD medicine, maybe motorcycles aren't for you. That's all I can say. But thankfully, I was wearing a helmet. I only broke my collarbone, and then that went to rotator cuff surgery later on. But the appeal wasn't the same after I laid it down, or I should say, my wife said bye-bye to the Harley, okay? I gave it up for one of the capital campaigns we had along the way, and that was it. But That's not important. When I first got it, I have this two and like a quarter car garage. And I thought 
that I could probably park the Harley, I could probably still let my wife have her minivan spot, and I could still get my little car and the Harley in the garage if I cleaned out the garage. So I, I went to Costco, I bought one of those you know big plastic sheds that you put out back, and I, and I proceeded to clean out my garage. But a funny thing happened. As I cleaned out the garage, I realized it was all junk. I didn't need the shed. All I needed to do was throw the junk away that was in my garage. How many of you feel me on that one? Have you been in your basement or your attic lately? Okay, I'm just saying. What, what this is for us, this moment that we live in, is, is it's like we've all had our garages cleaned out for us because we couldn't go anywhere or do anything. And I know we still worked, and I know some of you taught your kids while you worked, and we never want to do that again. And I'm not saying it was a fun thing in any way. Many of you have lost people through that time. We did as well. It was a terrible thing. But what happened was that all of the extra stuff in our lives, in our schedules, was shut down. All of the stuff that we've been stacking on the side area of the garage was thrown away. All of the stuff that we've been stepping over and working around trying to get our car in, which was stuff we didn't really need in the first place, but we didn't know we didn't need it until it was taken away from us, it's all gone. And what I've realized is that the underlying silver lining in this pandemic cloud is a giant reset for our lives. And we are seeing it happen in society. We are seeing a ton of people change jobs. You know this, right? Some of you have done it. Some social commentators are calling 2021 the great resignation because people have decided that they want to work in a different field or they want to live closer to family, uh, like my kids did that moved from, from California to Nashville to be around cousins, okay? And we've lost many staff from here who are moving closer to family. And the millennials are now buying houses because they never want to be stuck in an apartment with a toddler ever again. So you can't find a house anywhere. And, and the clean garage has given us a chance to decide what we want to do and how we want to live our life. And it's caused us to slow down and reprioritize. So what are we going to do about it? Are we going to allow the world to just flow back in and put little junk all over our garage and end up with so little time for the important things? Or did we learn our lesson? There's a quote that's been haunting me from C.S. Lewis for several weeks. And it's deep, but you'll get it, okay? These small and perishable bodies we now have were given to us as ponies are given to schoolboys. We must learn to manage our, our, our bodies, okay, the stuff that we have, not that we may someday be free of horses. We learn to manage, not that we may someday be free of horses altogether, but that someday we may ride bareback, Confident and rejoicing, those greater mounts, those winged, shining, and world-shaking horses, which perhaps even now expect us with impatience, pawing and snorting at the king's stables. Isn't that, isn't that 
mind-boggling. We manage what we have, and God gives us more. He said, if you if I can't be faithful with a few things, I'm not going to give you more. But as we're faithful with our things, whether it's our time or our treasure or our, our theoretical garage, whatever it is, we learn and we grow in the things of God, and he gives us more things that we will be able to do. And all that time, we're training not to avoid horses, but to ride the beautiful vision of God's horses and what God wants for us in our life. And that's what I want to do. It's like several years ago, I was at this event with the author John Ortberg, who's a friend of mine, one of the great writers in the area of soul care. I'll recommend his book in a minute, okay? And we were just chatting in between these sessions that we were doing. It's actually the time I got to meet Montel Jordan for the first time. And we were all sitting around chatting, and, 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 and John asked me how I was doing. And, and when John Ortberg asks you how you doing, it's not like, how you doing? I'm good, I'm good. how you doing? He really wants an answer because he's kind of that guy, right? And it was August or September of that year, I don't know, three or four years ago. And I said, you know, I think this is one of the best summers I've ever had. And he's always intuitive. And he was like, well, tell me about that. Why do you think it was? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, he's like the counselor kind of guy, right? You know, like, how does that make you feel? Okay. And I said, well, I don't, I don't know. I guess for one thing, I didn't have a project hanging over my head this summer. I didn't have a book to write or a convention to run like I had the previous years before that. And, uh, and then it hit me. And I started cracking up. And I said, oh, yeah. And I bet the other thing is I had rotator cuff surgery on May 1st. And I couldn't really do anything for three months. Duh. Why would surgery give me a good summer? Because it slowed me down. And it crossed out many of the normal things that I would give my time to and give me the opportunity to reset. And what I'm saying is that I think the coronavirus was rotator cuff surgery for the whole world. And maybe it's just me, but every once in a while I need a reset because basically I'm dumber than a box of rocks. Somebody just say amen. Okay, it's all right. Let's have communion. Are we passing the trays yet? Let's go. Some of you, to those of you who are also as dumb as a box of rocks, this is your chance. This is our chance to reset. Not only that, but as much as I hate to bring it up, many of you are also used to watching a lot of baseball right about now. And your team is basically already done for the next 100 years. <laughs> so you have even more time. Is it too soon? I'm sorry. I just, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't help myself. Guys, we have the opportunity, one, one more illustration, to Marie Kondo our lives here. Are you following me? You know, you know what I'm talking about? We can hold our stuff in the driveway and see if it gives us joy. We can go through our t-shirts and decide which ones we're going to keep and roll them up and put them in our drawer neatly, or we can just cram everything back in. For example, I have a friend, an avid a fan of a certain college team that plays very close to here whose mascot is an angry leprechaun. <laughs> Which is super weird if you really think about it, isn't it? They're magically delicious. I, you know, okay. So he's fourth generation from the school. His kids went to that school. Season ticket holder. They tailgated every home game. Nobody loves Notre Dame more than they did. 
And it all started to hit me when last year, in the middle of missing last year's football season because they couldn't allow fans, he said, you know, I miss it, but it's kind of nice. He said, I'm not sure I'm going to tailgate every game from now on. People go buy their own hot dogs. I'm not even sure if I'll go to every game. It was a reset. So what are you going to put back? What are you going to let go? you got to put the lawnmower back. Unfortunately, you'll have to put the snowblower back unless you're like Pastor Todd and you don't know how to use one. You're going to need that stuff, okay? So here's the song that, uh, that inspired uh, this. I mean, God was doing work on me anyway. And then, uh, this will seem weird to you, but Lady A has a new uh, EP, and I got to the, to the last one. Hillary, the, the, the singer, the lady singer in Lady A is a great Christian woman. And there's this song we're going to do for you right now. I just want to show you the lyrics because it's really kind of what prompted me to talk about this today. She said, because I gave, so she's looking back at things she needs to change. And she said, because I gave so much time to nothing. I focused on who I was, not what I was becoming. My fears, they took up space. My eyes couldn't look away. I didn't even realize I worshiped what I hate. Listen.
I mean, I didn't even realize I gave so much time to nothing. I worshiped what I hate. I didn't even realize it. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does the bush not burn up? Now I ask you, if a bush is on fire, how long would it take to burn up? 10 minutes? 15 minutes? I mean, I don't know. I've never done it. But for Moses to say, hey, there's a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up, means that Moses had to stop and look at the bush for 10 or 15 minutes, okay? And maybe there's nothing else to do in the wilderness, and you see a bush on fire, you just stare at it. I don't know. But it's only when Moses stops and slows down long enough that he realizes that something is different. Rabbi Kushner is a Jewish teacher, obviously. He said, the burning bush was not a miracle. It was a test. God wanted to find out whether or not Moses could pay attention to something for more than a few minutes. And when Moses did, God spoke. The trick is to pay attention to what is going on around you, which you can't do if you're staring at your phone. Sorry, Rabbi, I didn't say that. That was me. <laughs> Long enough to behold the miracle. There's another world right here within this one <laughs> whenever we pay attention. Holy wow. Burning bushes all around us. Maybe God is waiting to give us direction and speak to us and become real to us. But our garages are so full, there's no room for a miracle. Now is your chance. You don't have to quit a bunch of stuff. Just don't add it back. I hate it when God makes me preach this stuff. I'm just going to tell you. I, I want to preach about love or something. But, but I can't. Because don't you know? Love is a burning bush. Love is the highest value in the kingdom, right? Love God is number one. Love your neighbor as yourself, number two. But love is painfully time-consuming. All you parents know that. Lovers know that. Long-term friends know that. John Mark Comer said it best. Hurry and love are incompatible. Most of my worst moments as a father and a husband and a pastor and even a human being are when I'm in a hurry. 
When I'm late for an appointment, I'm behind on my unrealistic to-do list, trying to cram too much into my garage. I don't give love. I give the opposite of love. I give anger and, and tension and nagging. And before the shutdown, I believe that we all had a problem with hurry. Cardiologist Meyer Friedman coined the term hurry sickness. And he said it's actually a kind of a disease. And it kills us physically and spiritually. And he said that in the 1950s. And my guess is that all of us battled this in one form or another. And I just want to level the playing field and do mass confession. I do this every couple of years. It's kind of a fun way for us to all get a hold of the fact that, that maybe not right now, but before the pandemic hit, we all had a problem with this, okay? So in just a moment, I want everybody who suffers from hurry sickness in one form or another to raise their hand, okay? Not yet, not yet. See, I, I said in a minute. See, do you see what happened there? People are like, well, I know where you're going. Let's just get over with. Okay, you definitely have it, okay? I'm just saying Humor me for a moment, and and let's run through a couple of different categories, okay? And then at the end, I'll ask you to all do your mass confection, okay? Do you often find yourself feeling like there aren't enough hours in the day? Do you wish you had more time? Do you feel like you are quite often in a race? If this is you, sometimes you come to an intersection, and there's a stoplight, and there are two lanes, and there's one car in each lane... Do you think carefully about which car you're going to get behind? Do you find yourself guessing based on the make and the model and the year of the car and maybe the hair color of the person who's driving the car, which car is going to get away faster? Because God forbid you get behind a slower moving car. And if you're a woman, do you also do this while applying full facial makeup at the same time if it's in the morning? If you wrestle with hurry sickness and you're in a grocery store and there are two lines that you could get in, line A and line B, do you count how many people, how many carts, and guess how many items are in each cart? If you're really sick, not only do you do that, but do you, when you get in line A, you make a decision, you track the person that would have been you in line B. Because if you're still in line and that person gets out the door, you're depressed for the rest of the day. You double up your Lexapro. Okay, how many of you in here suffer from hurry sickness? Let me see your hands now, okay? That's what I thought. We're all sick. But here's the thing. Dallas Willard said, hurry is the great enemy of our spiritual life in our day. It's had other enemies in other days, but in our day, in our world, hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Because you can hardly do anything the way Jesus did it in a hurry. You cannot love in a hurry. Jesus was often busy, but he was never hurried. Hurried is a condition of the soul. It is an inward condition where I am so frantic and preoccupied that I am unable to receive love from the Father and unable to be present with other people and to give love to them. The psalmist said it this way. Be still and know that I am God, okay? Be still and know that I am God. Have you ever been talking to a kid, a little kid, and told them, would you be still and listen to me? It's really hard when they're distracted, right? And if they have a phone, you can forget it. I brought this sign because I have this sign hanging in my home office. Does it help? No. 
Because signs don't matter. Decisions matter. Are you with me? Okay? This is why we have this unprecedented time right now to decide to not let the distractions come back. Elijah was depressed. He went into a cave. He spent the night in that place. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And the, the Lord said, go out and stand by the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. Now, I'm from Oklahoma. Uh, That Twister movie was made about the area that I grew up in. I've seen flying cows. Just kidding. When I picture God showing up, wind makes sense, right? There's wind at Pentecost when when the Holy Spirit comes on. But it says, the Lord was not in the wind. Elijah must have thought, what is that all about? And then after the wind, there was an earthquake. I've been in a few of those too. And the insurance people call those an act of... God, right? So surely, you know, the Lord was in the earthquake, but no, he wasn't in the earthquake. And then after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Elijah must have thought, Lord, burning bush, and and Elijah was the one that called down fire from heaven. No, that, that wasn't it. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. You probably think, well, servants of God shouldn't have down moments, but they do, okay? And you're a servant of God and you have down moments. Do you see how God is going to show up for you? It's not going to be in a big wind. It's not going to be in an earthquake. It's not going to be in a fire. It's going to be in a whisper because he's that close to you, but you've got to be able to listen. The new Revised Standard Version says it was the sound of sheer silence. That's where God was. And that's when God said, let me help you, Elijah. I've been through it before. One time in particular, I was, uh, I was in a period where I was just overdone, um, I had a lot of stuff going on in my life and I I felt like, remember that line from Bilbo Baggins in Lord of the Rings when he tells Gandalf, I feel thin, sort of stretched, like butter scraped over too much bread. I I love that line. And And I was out and I was praying and I said, God, show me a sign. And I immediately looked up and I saw two trees. One tree was large, but it was dying. And this was like early August and it was growing out of an outcropping of rocks And it didn't look like it was going to make it through the summer. And then the other tree was down more in the valley area where the elevation was closer to the water and it was smaller and it was green and it was thriving. And God said, guess which tree you are, Tim, my servant, who is dumber than a box of rocks. Like literally, I heard him say that. (laughs) I was the dying one because my roots we're in the middle of a bunch of rocks and I was spread too thin like piece of butter over too much bread and there was not enough for me to be able to replenish myself. And I feel like that's where the whole world was in 2020. And I'm afraid that the whole world is going to go back there again. The Apostle Paul 
said, look carefully then at how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of your time. This is a command. Because the days are evil. The days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Look carefully where you walk. The Greek word there means to juggle. Not really walk, but it's like walk accurately with intelligent, with intellectual thoroughness. Like make decisions about what you're going to put back in your garage. Don't just turn on the TV and watch the Cornhole Championships. Did any of you watch the Cornhole Championships on Saturday afternoon on ESPN? They were on today. Why would they be on TV? And I know you're going to say, well, you're a hypocrite. You watch it. I was at the health club. It just was on. They have Cornhole Championships on ESPN. And you turned it on, and it was there, and you watched it. Or synchronized swimming in the Olympics. Who watches this stuff? I don't know, but if it's on the TV, I'm going to do it. So instead of doing that or looking at my phone all the time, 2,617 times a day is the average we look at our phone. Is that the best way to use our time? Look at it again. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but wise, making the best use of your time. Redeem the time. To redeem the time, another translation says, means how do you spend it? You're investing your limited amount of garage space, your limited amount of minutes in your day in exchange for opportunities. And guess what? It's not like money. You can earn more money. You can save up your money. But you can't bank hours. You've only got a certain amount of minutes. What are you going to trade your time for? You only have a certain amount of time. You can't buy every opportunity. So you have to redeem the time. And you sometimes have to say, you know what? That's not what God wants me to spend my time on. And the reason the Bible tells us to teach us to number our days and to make the best use of our time is not so that we'll be more productive. It's so that we will prioritize what matters most. I'm going to talk more about this next weekend when we do Next Gen Weekend because obviously that rolls into this as well, how we do parenting and how we do Next Gen around here. But listen to what David says in the Psalms. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That ought to be all of our theme verse for the rest of 21. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. John Mark Comer, in one of these books I'm recommending, said, there's a saying in business literature that I love. Every system is perfectly designed to get the results that it gets. Usually, he said, this is applied to widgets and the bottom line, but I love it for life as a whole. If the results you are getting are lousy, like anxiety at a simmer, or mild depression, or high levels of stress, or chronic emotional burnout little to no sense of the presence of God, an inability to focus your mind on the things that make for life, etc., then the odds are very good that something about the system in your life is off kilter. The way that you've organized your routine, your schedule, your budget, your relationship with your phone, how you manage your resources of time and money and attention, something is out of whack. It is often quoted, he said, that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over again and expecting different results. 
But that's exactly what we do. That's exactly what I'm afraid we're going to do when we go back. We get a vision of the kind of life that is possible in Jesus and we go to church or we read a book or we listen to a podcast and we catch a glimpse of the kind of life we ache for, one of emotional health and spiritual life and our gut immediately says, yes, God, I want that life. And then we head home from church with all the willpower we can muster and we set out to change. But then we go right back to living the exact same lifestyle and nothing does change. It's the same cycle on repeat, stress, tired, distraction. We feel stuck yet again, and we wonder, what am I missing? If this is ringing a bell for you, some resources, okay? Um, One is our own Casey Tigert has a free ebook if you're interested. Sign up on his website to get his stuff. He is fantastic with his stuff. And the ebook is Finding a Life, the Jesus Rhythm, Advance and Retreat. It's great stuff. I really recommend it. I mentioned John Ortberg, Soul Keeping, Caring for the Most Important Part of You. And don't worry, we're going to put this out on social media at all of our places. Take a picture of this if you want to, whatever you need to. The two I've read most recently is The Ruthless Elimination of Her hurry by John Mark Comer. Highly recommend that. Um, All my family's read that. Really, really good. And brand new book, John Eldridge, Get Your Life Back, Everyday Practices for a World Gone Mad. I don't know if you're named John, I guess, then you write about soul care. I I don't know how that works, but this is what I want to recommend to you, okay? As we prepare for communion at all of our campuses, I want to read you a verse that you probably, if you've been around church, have heard many times before. But I want to explain it to you, and I want to unpack it for you, and then I want you to slow down for just maybe 120 seconds and ask God what he thinks. Ask God maybe what things you ought to not necessarily put back in as we all go back. Or maybe there are some things that need to be removed it's so easy for it to happen listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 11 come to me all you who are weary and burdened gosh I don't is anybody not weary and burdened right now it's tough come to me all of you period and what will he do I will give you rest. I mean, doesn't that sound exactly like what you want, what you need? Doesn't that sound like exactly why you came to church? You turned this on so that you could find God and he could give you rest? Well, wait a minute. (coughs) He says more. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Dallas Willard calls this the secret of the easy yoke. Let me me explain the yoke. It's got double meaning here, okay? A yoke, obviously, if you know anything about farming, is the thing that you put on two different animals to get them to pull together, 
okay? So agrarian culture, they, they got this reference, maybe you don't, but when he says, take my yoke upon you, it's about putting that on. And I know that doesn't sound like rest, like adding it, like I want a vacation, I want a mattress, I want a, I want a Mai Tai, I don't want a yoke, okay? But, 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 but hang on for a second, because this is going to make sense. The second meaning is a rabbi always had a certain way of teaching things, and that was called his yoke. So the rabbi's yoke, they had a saying back then, may, you're, may you always be covered in the dust of the rabbi. That was it, the yoke of the rabbi, like I'm going to learn from him. And that's what we say we're doing, right? We're learning from Jesus. We're watching how Jesus lived his life. I mean, you know, he started the kingdom of God in three years. That's not bad, right? He did okay. And yet he was never in a hurry. He always had his priorities right. That's so crazy. But go back to the but go back to the yoke. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I am gentle and hum, humble in heart. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. What I was processing this and it's like I'm an old donkey. Okay? I'm an old donkey. That's what I am. And I'm pulling this load. And 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 I I'm tired and I'm weary and I'm burdened. And Jesus, Jesus is, is a Clydesdale, right? Amen? St. Louis Cardinals. He's a Clydesdale. And all he does in his life is like pull this beer cart around Bush Stadium every once in a while when there's a game. That's all he's got to do. And as a matter of fact, he's willing to lay that down and come and help you as this healthy, strong Clydesdale. He's got a yoke on and he says, hey, clip on here and let me help you. How dumb would I have to be as a donkey, as a, as a tired old donkey to not say yes. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Doesn't that sound like a better priority than cornhole championships? Doesn't that sound like a better priority than everything else we do in life? Ortberg said it great. He said, look, you guys, an easy life is not an option, but an easy yoke is. Communion gives us the chance to put on the easy yoke. The burden is light. That's what he promises us. And we're going to do this together at all of our campuses. Just peel off that top layer and find the bread. And then the next layer will be the juice. And your campus pastor will lead you in all of that in just a moment. I just want to pray us out. And um, I hope you heard me preaching to myself and you got something out of it because... um, that's usually where my best stuff comes from because I'm dumber than a box of rocks. Dear God, thank you for a deep breath. Thank you for some time over the last few weeks to take a deeper breath and reevaluate what the priorities are for me in my life. And as we all do that, as we all get ready to come back to the fall and school's going to start and, and we're trying to figure all those things out and sporting programs are coming back and, and all of those things that we fill our lives with are coming back, will you just help us 
take our time and really think about the things we fill our lives with. Will you help us to look at that little thing on our phone that tells us how much time we spend on our phone and evaluate how much that's been worth in our life? Will you help us to evaluate whether social media is really even worth it in the first place? Will you help us evaluate whether we should be watching the news because it's all goofy anyway and it's not doing us any good? Would you help us evaluate the time we spend with other people and the time we spend with you and help us to number our days because the days can be evil again and they will be if we don't do something about it. Jesus, we clip in to your yoke. We clip in and we take it right now and we ask you to help us. We are weary and burdened. Give us rest. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Like I mentioned before, we would love to hear from you. And if you want to talk with our team about taking your next step toward God, visit parkviewchurch.com slash next steps to let us know. Now may the grace and peace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forever. See you next time.